Well, good morning. We continue with our series on the Mass. This is the 10th teaching in this series. And if you missed any, you will find all the teachings on our website at allsaintslongbeach.com. So last week we started talking about the great Thanksgiving that begins with the Sorsum Corda and it ends with the great Amen and we will continue with that. So we will pick up just after the Sanctus. So if you find it helpful, you can take your service booklets and you can follow with me um, by looking at the flow of the, the way that the liturgy is laid out. So at this point, often people kneel as able as we continue the prayer of commemoration. That's also known as the prayer of consecration. And it is often referred to as the canon. So kneeling is never mandatory. Um, Some can't do it for physical reasons. We don't want people to feel obligated, but invited. And I know it can be awkward, particularly if you are new to the church uh, family or you're new to this particular style or way of worship, um, and you see everyone drop to their knees and you're not sure what to do. But more than anything, we want you to be be comfortable and we want you to do what you feel led to do. So whether you stand, whether you sit, or whether you kneel, that's okay. But I'm just sharing sharing that in this time, it's normative that people kneel. So the prayers of that commemorate the incarnation and the mighty works of Jesus Christ for our salvation. So there is a retelling of salvation history. So there is a Greek word that's called anamnesis, and I'd like to talk about that, but the meaning of that word means to uh, unforgetting. So a person who has lost his memory has amnesia and literally does not know who he or she is. But anamnesis is the opposite of this condition. It is the unforgetting that causes a person or people to remember and thereby regain identity. And as we talk about um, a lot here that God's people are always called to remember, the Jewish people were called to remember, remember the mighty acts of God. If you noticed in our psalm this morning, we remembered the ongoing mighty acts of God and we responded with? That's right, His mercy. His mercy endures forever. So perhaps when you were a teenager or maybe even some of you even as an adult, um, and you're beginning to walk out the door and your mother or your father will say, remember who you are as you leave. So often I tell Kara when she's about to leave something along the lines of Kara, have a great day, have fun, be careful, uh, but be wise and make good decisions. Um, in other words, I'm basically saying, remember who you are, remember the way that you were raised the things that you've been taught, the faith and the morals of your blood and spiritual family. Now, of course, I don't use all those words, but Kara knows what I'm basically saying. And sometimes I get a response with a little smile and sometimes I get a stare. Well, never mind. But anyway, uh, Kara knows because she knows me and she knows what I'm what I'm saying. Um, and, and when the prophets of Israel wanted God's people to remember the Torah, the way of life, Uh, they would call Israel Israel to remember or to remembrance. 
And uh, Deuteronomy talks about this in several places, in Exodus and Second Peter, but I'm going to say, remember how God brought you out of the house of slavery with signs and wonders and with an outstretched arm. Remember, O Israel, who you are and the sacred vocation for which you have been created. Very powerful storyline. So in the Eucharistic liturgy, salvation history is being rehearsed. And the mighty deeds of God on behalf of God's people are brought to mind in praise and thanksgiving, remembering the sending of the Savior and the night in which He was betrayed, remembering Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, and promise to come again. So we are to remember. We are to unforget. Jesus commands us to do this in remembrance of me. And like I said, the Greek word translated as remembrance is anamnesis. So the English translation does not do it justice nor nuance it properly. But it can be translated like this. And I know these are awkward words, but this is the, the meaning. Do this for recalling me. Or even better than that is this. Do this for making me present. That's what's happening. So you can see how there is a breakdown in the understanding of just the word remembrance. Now, the Jewish idea of remembrance or memorial was not just recalling an event or a person from the past, but the idea is that it is made present in the now. So the reality of the once and for all sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is made present in the now. He is present in our midst in this particular and unique way as He promised. There is not a re-sacrificing of Jesus Christ on the altar every Sunday. There is a once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ over 2,000 years ago, but the reality of everything that He provided for us is being made available to His people today. Something very powerful. So we hear again the history of God's salvation. So God in His love made us for Himself to be in relationship with Him, to fulfill His will, ways, desires, and purposes. But of course, humanity misused our freedom and turned away from God. The biblical language for this tragic turn in human nature is the fall. And the Bible says that we fell into sin and became cut off from God. Because we are cut off from God and therefore under the control of darkness, evil, and death. Death of the spirit and even death of the body. And the Bible teaches that this is unnatural. It's against God's intention. And it's a self-contrived tragedy. But this is the good news. And you're going to hear the good news of, of Jesus Christ, the gospel being proclaimed all throughout this message. And by the way, we hear it all throughout the liturgy as well. God does not leave us in this terrible predicament. But He sends His own Son to redeem us. Now, does this sound familiar? You, in your mercy, sent Jesus Christ, your only and eternal Son, to share our human nature, to live and die as one of us, to reconcile us to you, the God and Father of all. Straight from our liturgy. The retelling of God's salvation history. So God wants a people who will freely return to His love, not by outward compulsion or by force, but by a willingness with with gratitude welling up for the gift that God has given in His Son, Jesus, to free us from the power of evil and darkness and sin and death. 
Now, the Word that reveals Himself in the history of Israel, in the Ten Commandments, and the words of the prophets, becomes present in the life of Jesus Christ. So in and through Jesus, we meet God and we are restored to relationship with our Creator and Father. So God does not want to remain hidden or inaccessible. God wants human beings to know Him. So this only comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Gospel is the good news that God's new life is available by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because of His finished, complete, once and for all work upon the cross, His death and His resurrection. And He makes that available to each of us today. Now, does this sound familiar? Christ stretches out His arms on the hardwood of the cross so that the whole world might come within the reach of His saving embrace. Once again, straight from the liturgy. God overcomes the hostility of the world, not by a show of force or overwhelming power, but by the power of the cross, the power of humility, the power of suffering love. Now, the prayer of consecration speaks of this act of suffering love as a perfect sacrifice for the sake of the whole world. So in the Eucharist, we are recognizing the gift of this sacrifice poured out for us. And we are joining ourselves with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to the Father. So we then move on to the words of institution. On the night that he was betrayed, these words recall Jesus' instructions at the Last Supper, as well as his assurance that this is my body and this is my blood. So listen to these familiar words. On the night that He was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and He gave it to His disciples saying, Take, eat. This is My body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is My blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Now the word covenant here, it means so many things. A covenant is a set of sacred promises, a set of well-defined relationships and mutual commitments. In other words, where a person's word is cheap today, and people are cynical about enduring promises and commitments, it's hard to catch the powerful meaning of, of this word covenant. And, but though marriage is under great attack in our, in our culture, in our time, it is still perhaps helpful as a covenant is made between a man and a woman before God in the presence of one another. It's as if Jesus Christ is saying this, in my blood, in my life of love poured out for the forgiveness of sins, there is a new marriage between God and humanity. Feed upon my life. Drink in this new relationship with God and this new relationship with one another. So when we say, do this in remembrance of me, we lift the bread and the chalice for practical and ceremonial purposes. We are both offering it to the Lord and we're also making sure that everyone in the congregation can see what's being offered. So we also use sanctus spells as uh, we lift. 
the sanctus spells are rung to get everyone's attention. Please hear that, because that's the primary use and understanding of the sanctus spells. And we're basically saying this. Something's imp- <laughs> See, that's, that's the purpose of the sanctus spells. The sanctus spells is basically saying this. Something is happening. Put down your cell phones, put down your electronic devices, put down your bulletins, listen, look up here, and pay attention. That's what the Sanctus Bells means. Now, sometimes it's gotten connected to uh, that, that this is actually the place that Christ is making the elements, his body and his blood, but that's not so much the purpose of the Sanctus Bells. So that's not why we ring them. We ring them because something important is taking place. Pay attention. So we then move into the apoclesis, which basically means the invocation or the calling upon the Holy Spirit. So the priests ask God to sanctify, to bless, to make holy, to set apart, to come upon these gifts and make them the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now the priest will hold out his hands over the bread and the wine and makes the sign of the cross over the elements and prays that the Father will sanctify the bread and the wine by the power of the Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and the blood of your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending life in Him from our liturgy. The epiclesis or the invocation of the calling upon the Holy Spirit continues, not only upon the bread and the wine, but we ask the Lord to do the same thing for us. Come upon your people. Come upon us, Lord. Bless. Make us holy. Set us apart. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may worthily receive these holy gifts. Here is the most appropriate place in all of the liturgy to make the sign of the cross. Now, if you are so inclined not to do the sign of the cross for whatever reason, that's okay. But if there was ever a time to really do the sign of the cross, this would be the time to do it. Because we're asking the Holy Spirit to come upon us, His church, to make us holy. Sanctify us, Lord Jesus. It's not obli- uh, you know, obligatory, it, but, it, but this would be as a norm, normative practice. So here we're asking the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us. That we will become the body of Jesus Christ. The life-giving blood of His love and the world. Here we pray that the Spirit will continue the work in us now as we are sent into the world to be a blessing. A means of grace a sign and a foretaste of His coming kingdom. Now, do you notice that the same thing's happening when we're asking the Holy Spirit to come up on the bread and wine, to make it His body and His blood, a foretaste of the sign of the kingdom that is to come now? We're asking the Holy Spirit to do that with us too. Fill us with Yourself, Lord, through the body and the blood of Your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit, so that we could be sent to the world and be a sign and a foretaste of the coming kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I get really excited about this kind of stuff. I can get goosebumps all up and down because you know what? There's, not, there's nothing better I could be sharing with you than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the importance of the sacraments. At a certain point in history, there was a great interest in trying to fix the moment of consecration and identify the moment when the bread and the wine cease to be merely mundane things like wine and bread and actually become the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, in the West... This moment became associated with the words of the institution. 
It was the word, the words of the word of God that brought about the transformation of the elements. That was what they believed. That was part of their theology, and that is about what that's how they, how they taught it. But in the Eastern Church, the moment of consecration was associated with the epiclesis, or the prayer asking the Holy Spirit to sanctify the elements and make them the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, Anglicans have traditionally been disinterested in trying to localize a particular moment of consecration and have looked at the whole prayer from the sorsum corda to the great amen that we're going to talk about in a few minutes that happens at the end of this whole section or the entire canon as a necessary condition for consecration. So we just leave it a mystery. We know that Christ does it. He wants to do it. He promises that he will do it. He will make it the body and the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. We honor and respect church tradition. We understand and respect the West and the East. We've been influenced by both. But we believe it's all important. And that's why whenever we do the words of institution, I will lift and I will also genuflect. And then whenever we come to the, the, the actually lifting up our hands and, and making the cross and we ask the Holy Spirit, we will, we will do the sign of the cross. That's why at the great amen, which I'm getting ahead of myself in my notes, but that's why I will often give a solemn bow or sometimes I will even genuflect. It's appropriate. Now next comes the memorial ac- acclamation, remembering Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. Now as a reminder, I've already talked about this, anamnesis means recollection or remembrance. And the offering of ourselves and the gifts is sometimes called the oblation. So our standard liturgy in the Anglican Church in North America uses this word, but the rubrics or the instructions say that the celebrant can substitute oblation with the word offering in its place, and oftentimes when I see the word oblation in the liturgy, I'll change it to offering because that's something that the majority of people understand. So therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Now, the word mystery here means the holy, surprising, and indescribable, gracious act of God who's acting on our behalf. Mystery is the word that is often used to translate the Greek word mysterion, which literally means miracle or sacrament. So our faith is that in these mysteries, God acts on our behalf to provide healing, redemption, and salvation. Notice that this summary of the Christian faith is not a list of the teachings of Jesus. It is not a list of doctrines, concepts, or propositional statements. Our faith is that God has done things, has acted on our behalf. God entered into human life through the incarnation of His Son, Jesus Christ. He identified with us in our lostness, rebellion, and humanity, but He did not sin. And God has become, um, He was the Savior of the world, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus Christ, at at our hands, died for us, taking uh, to Himself the full bitterness of our evil and our sin. Jesus Christ is risen. The life and love of Christ has overcome the death of sin and darkness and evil in all of us. And God has raised Jesus from the grave and declares victory over darkness, sin, evil, and the grave. Jesus Christ will come again. This kingdom of which we have a foretaste in this Eucharist will come in fullness and power when He will make all things new. 
Now, there will come a time when the Son will completely restore the creation and offer this completed work to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the light of that future radiates now in this Eucharist. So it comes, with, it comes from the future into the now. And we proclaim the faith together. We are identifying ourselves as people who live in the light of this awesome reality. Now, I don't have the time to explore this. Maybe I'll touch on it um, starting next week because I'm running out of time. But we've talked about how this once and for all work of Jesus Christ that He did for us 2,000 years ago on the cross, He comes from then and He meets us in the now. And then also we have this powerful belief in the coming of the, of the kingdom of God when He promises to come again and make all things new, bring the fullness of His kingdom. He comes and He breaks in the now and brings that to today. So He's coming from the past and He's coming from the future and He's meeting us now in the Holy Eucharist. Now that's powerful. We know that the Savior has come and has died and has risen and is making all things new. And we are part of this new creation and we look forward to the perfection of God's work of love in the life of the world to come. Sacrificial love which brings life out of a new future. That is the paradigm. The pattern of God's dealing with us. That is the mystery of faith. Now, do you recognize this? We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, and this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, recalling His death, resurrection, and ascension. We offer you these gifts of bread and wine. When someone has a serious head injury, the patient sometimes has to learn to move and walk all over again. The therapist will move the arms and the legs of the patient over and over in a particular way which instills in the patient's nervous system the building blocks of autonomous movement. And the process is called, now I'm going to use the word pattern, but I'm going to call it repattern or repatterning. Okay? So the patient's brain is being reprogrammed so that the patient can ultimately regain the use of a function that has become impaired. So we are impaired. And we're damaged because of sin. We wobble, we're unstable on our feet. Sometimes when we know that we should act in a certain way and don't, we find ourselves paralyzed. And in Jesus, God is repatterning us. He's putting into us those building blocks, patterns of love and thanksgiving, healing and reconciliation that leads us to freely offering praise and thanksgiving and sharing and kingdom justice and peace with other people. What God is doing in here, He sends us into the world to do out there. The therapist's work for the patient is a remembering, a memorial. So this is what is happening in celebrating the memorial of our redemption. It is not a memorial in the sense of a memorial stone, a monument to what once happened. It is a memorial in the sense of active remembering of reliving, re-experiencing. It is a memorial in the sense of a real and healing intervention that restores and empowers. So now recalling, remembering in this active, vital sense, and not merely as a human act alone, but by the power of God's Holy Spirit working in us, the self-giving death of Jesus Christ, His victory over evil, Darkness, sin, and death. 
his new and risen life and his ascension, his raising of the life to the life of the Father, all of these at work in us to restore and redeem us and to restore and redeem the world. Only by virtue of remembering this repatterning, this work of God in us, are we able to offer God thanks and praise. And all we have to offer in thanks and praise are these gifts. These gifts are our lives in the process of being redeemed and restored by Christ's life. And that is why we talk about the effect of all that is happening here is brought out those doors and is extended on our home table, our work table, our neighbor's table, and everything that we do and through everything that we do in our lives. And the prayer concludes with the doxology to the Holy Trinity, by Him and with Him and in Him. This feast of love and praise and thanksgiving, this celebration of Holy Communion with each other and the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, this abundant participation in the the eternal conversation and exchange of divine love is what we do now and what we will do forever. Here the elements of bread and wine may be elevated at the offering of Jesus Christ to the Father and our offering of this Eucharist in and through Him become one. At this point, the people say Amen. This is called the Great Amen, where the people boldly give their assent to these words of thanksgiving. Now in the Book of Common Prayer, it is the only Amen that's in all capital letters. The culmination of the most solemn and sacred prayer in the liturgy is the people saying together, Amen, so let it be. In the Anglican tradition, the priest cannot celebrate the Eucharist alone. Now that's one of the differences between us and our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters is that the the priest cannot do communion alone. There must be at least one other individual present, a congregation. There must be at least one other faithful person or people who say together a great Amen. I place the elements that I have elevated on the altar and I make a profound bow. Sometimes I genuflect. And the ringing of the bells would be very appropriate at this time and maybe continue to ring for a while. If we were the kind of dancing church, this might be a time to dance. Because this is a great crescendo of thanksgiving and praise to the Father at this great Amen. This great prayer, this retelling of salvation history where God comes and meets us from the past, in the now, and in the future, in the now. I hope and I pray that as we have done this this series on this Mass, we're given meaning to the understanding of everything that we do, the acts, the prayers, that it will become alive in you. Because there's one thing I'm going to mention, and I'm not going to talk about right now, I'll talk about next week. If there's so much power, the activity of God in in this service, why aren't the liturgical churches looking more like Jesus Christ and affecting the world for Him? Just because we go through these actions and say these prayers is not magic. It doesn't automatically create transformation in our lives. So what's missing? How do we make sense between everything I just preached and that? Well, let's talk about that next week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.